Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about your expectations for your child, um, the one that has anxiety or OCD, but all of them actually. And we're going to talk about your stress. And I want to talk about how your expectations, how your stress impact your kids. And I'm not just talking about, you know, Hey, you should lower your expectations and you should lower your stress and your kids are going to be great. I want to go and dive deep into this topic. I want to talk about some research studies that I find fascinating And the vibe of this episode is not shame and blame. It's to inspire and to empower. (laughs) So stick with me. We're going to talk about this. I've been having some aha moments in my own life about my own expectations and how it's been impacting my kids and my own stress level. So before we get started, I always like to give you an update on what's been going on in the AT parenting survival world. I have a new free video series that's out just this week. I didn't want you to miss it. So I did come on and record something to post on Thursday, but if you didn't catch that, cause you're like, Hey, Natasha doesn't, you know, she doesn't produce new things on Thursday. So I don't know what that is, but I'm going to ignore it or didn't even come into your feed, but I am doing a three-part video series on self-care for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. Because as you'll realize today, as we go into this, how we're doing directly impacts our kids. I mean, there is a direct correlation and not in a philosophical sort of way. In a physiological way, there's a direct correlation and we'll go a little bit into that today. And there is an emotional correlation. So, and I've seen this in my non-scientific experience. I have seen this in my practice for two decades where when parents aren't doing well, they are struggling with their own anxiety. They have a negative perception. They don't know how to recharge. They are doing so much for their kids that they are tapped out. Those kids don't do as well, always. And that is why it's so important to turn the tables on yourself, focus on yourself. And when we work on ourselves, when we work on improving ourselves, we don't have to be perfect because nobody is. But when we focus on that, inevitably our kids do better. So if you're feeling frustrated and thinking, you know what, I'm done. I am tapped out. There is nothing more I can do. Then it's time to take care of you. And if you're thinking I'm okay, it's still time to to take care of you because there's always, always the priority of making sure that you're a rock so that you can anchor your child. And if you're not a rock and you're not working on your perceptions, your mindset, your reset, how to, you know, fill up your battery when it's depleted, then you're not going to be able to be there for your child. And a lot of the parents who are mostly burnout or more burnt out than the average burnout person is doing way too much for their children because they think that's what their children need. And it's actually not the case at all. So I go all into that in the video series. So we're not going to be talking about spa treatments and nails. You can do that but that's not what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about your perceptions, your triggers, your mindset, your um, relationship with anxiety. We're going to be talking about um, your ability to foster independence with your child. 
some pretty deep stuff. So each video is 30 minutes. I try to make my stuff really small and digestible. And I like videos more than I like workshops or live workshops. Well, one, I don't like anything live. (laughs) I handle them, but I don't like them. But two, I just feel like we have busy lives. I mean, there's people who listen to this. There's a lot of listeners who are in the UK. There's a lot of listeners who are in Australia. There are a lot of you who are in Canada, the East Coast, West Coast, all over the country and the world. And we're all in different time zones. So I want you to be able to watch these videos at any time. Now it's limited to this week. So there is a time limit, but you can watch it when it's dinner time for you or when the kids are asleep for you and not wait for a webinar time or a workshop time. So to get these videos directly into your inbox, I am just mailing them. I'm emailing them to people. So you can join the video series and I'll send them to you. You can join by going to, um, by texting me. I always like to do a text for my podcast listeners. So it's easier. You can text me at 44222 and just type in the word, one word, AT self-care and it will prompt you to give me your email and then I will send you out the videos. If you're listening to this and it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, you can still watch Monday's video. They will be up all week. They're going to be going down at midnight on Friday. So catch them while they're still up. If you have been following the video series and you've already watched video one, don't forget to go into the private Facebook group and talk about the things that you're realizing. Um, We're covering one video each day. So Monday, we're going to cover... Uh, We're going to cover perception and mindset on Tuesday. Today, we are covering your emotional and physical well-being. And Wednesday, we're going to be covering community and connection and talking about what that means because it's kind of abstract. And there are worksheets attached to these videos. And we are doing some fun raffle type of contest. So get into the Facebook group and see what's going on over there. You can join if you're not part of my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash AT Parenting Anxious Kids. So I look forward to seeing you over there and we will talk more about this. So let's get into today's topic on expectations and stress. I was actually going to make this two episodes and then I realized, you know what, this is, this is one episode. So the first part I want to talk about, we're going to break them down is our expectations. And let me flesh this out for you. Cause you might be like, what is she talking about? And honestly, there's nothing more that I hate or find super irritating is when I'm listening to someone and they're talking in abstract terms the entire time. And so you're like, just speak English. What are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe that's my impatience, but that's my expectation of them to speak clearly and make sense. But I want to just be very concrete with what I'm saying. So when we think our kids can't overcome something, or when we think their anxiety is so big, they're going to be doomed forever. Or when we think their OCD is so overwhelming, there's no way they can go to that party or there's no way they can go to school. So those kind of expectations, it's, so it's a very narrow area of expectations I'm talking about. I'm talking about anxiety and OCD and the expectations we have around that. Those impact our kids, whether we are verbal about it or not, because we don't only communicate our expectations of our children verbally, 
we we communicate that through our body language. We communicate that through our behavior. Kids can pick up on things. A lot of kids with anxiety or OCD are highly um, empathetic and they're emotional sponges and they can pick up on our energy even if we don't say anything. They're very emotionally intelligent. Even though they're struggling, they're very emotionally intelligent. So we can't fake it. We have to do some deep work to genuinely change our expectations. So I want to give you some examples of what I'm talking about. And then I want to talk about um, some data that proves this. So let's give you some examples in my world. My, and actually this happened just last night. My Miss 16 had a had a homework assignment that of course she left to the last minute. So I found out that she had to cook something that was like a Spanish recipe for Spanish class. And she doesn't cook. I mean, I really have failed her in the cooking department because she was a really messy kid and I just couldn't handle the mess that she would make every time I would try to teach her my bad completely. And so now she's 16 and she's completely inept. (laughs) Now that's my expectation that she will be inept in the kitchen, right? So there it is right there being raw. So she picked a recipe that was incredibly easy. She picked eggs. Um, it's like a Spanish omelet. I was like, how, how is this a Spanish recipe? Why am I getting ripped off and not getting a really good Spanish meal? Tell me that young lady, why am I having omelets? (laughs) So it was approved by her teacher. So she was just basically literally going to make, it's like a pancake. So the only difference between an omelet and this was that she wasn't going to flip it. So it was eggs, potatoes, onions, parsley. That's it. And, uh, she was cutting the potatoes and she was saying, I'm going to burn the house down. I, you have to help me. And I kept saying to her, you're not going to burn the house down. I'm really busy. I have an appointment at six 30. I can't help you. It's eggs. It's literally eggs. You're 16. You can do this. Read the directions. So I, I was giving her the message that she had it, but that she got it and she can handle it. But really it wasn't a very loving message. It was more like, I'm busy. I can't help you. You can do it yourself. And then I walked into the kitchen while she was cutting potatoes and she needed like these little tiny, small potatoes and she's cutting them and I'm, she's very clumsy. And so I was like, Oh, just watch your fingers. Oh, just please watch your fingers. And as she's cutting them, I'm like, do you want me to do it for you? And she's like, no mom. Cause she had to record it. So she's recording it. There was no audio, but she had to do it herself. And then she was cutting an onion and you know, it's big and she wanted to get like this huge knife and she was struggling with it. And I was like, do you want me to do it for you? And then I was like, just be careful. And then I realized what I was doing. You know, I was really conveying to her that she didn't have it, that my expectations for her were to fail, that she was going to cut herself. She was going to do something that was going to be harmful. And my, even though my words initially were kind of, of believing in her and confident, although the tone was all wrong my behavior and my following words were that she wasn't going to be able to do it. And then I had to go to my appointment and I came back and the house smelled really delicious, but it was burnt and she was crying and I ate it. I thought it was good. <laughs> you know, I'll eat any meal that like I didn't have to cook. So I was really appreciative of the fact that I had some burnt eggs and she was upset because she said, I can't cook. I can never cook. And I partly did that. I probably, I will take full responsibility. I completely did that because of my expectations on her from the very beginning, from when she was like four or five and 
she would kind of make a disaster and then I would remove her from the kitchen. So I'm not like that with my other kids, like my Miss Eight. She loves to cook and I'm pretty calm with her. So it's just my interaction with my oldest. Now that's just a very brief example of of me putting my expectations on her. But we do this on a much deeper level. I just that happened last night and I knew I was gonna talk about it, so it seemed relevant. But how often do we do that with our kids when we don't sign them up for something or we don't even ask them because we just assume that they're not going to want to do it because they're not capable of doing it. I am totally guilty of that where I have already assumed there's just no way that she can handle that. And so forget it. In fact, I'm doing that right now with the dentist. (laughs) This is like a, let's just throw Natasha under the bus podcast episode, but I'm doing that right now. I try, I was cognizant of it. So I did try to not say this in front of my son, although hopefully he wasn't reading my lips as I was saying this to the orthodontist, but he has done a lot better with his dental phobias. His dental phobias predominantly have to do with feeling like he's going to get pinched. And so he like went and I posted this in my, on my Facebook page. I don't know if I posted it. I don't think I posted it in the Facebook group, but his dentist the dentist office actually sent him a letter saying, we're so proud of you. You're so brave. Um, you beat your anxiety, which I thought was really nice. My gosh, how, how thoughtful is that? But so we had an ortho consult. It's the same office. And they were saying they're going to have to take an impression for him to get this mouthpiece, which actually he has no idea is going to be very pokey. He's getting an expander and he was all excited because he thought he was getting braces. And I, when, when is it going to happen, mom? And I'm thinking in my head, this is going to be a nightmare. And you have no idea that it's going to be a nightmare. And you're all excited about it until you get that thing in your mouth. And you're going to realize this is a nightmare. I'm like permanently being poked, but see, that's my expectation. So I was saying to the dentist, um, he's not going to be able to handle, you know, an impression. There's no way you're going to be able to put that in his mouth to get an impression. And, and the dentist was like, well, we'll try. And if we can't, we'll just have to wait, you know, a year or so. But I was aware enough not to say that out loud to him. I just looked at him and I kind of mouthed it. Like it's not going to work out, but who's got a negative, negative attitude. You know, my expectations are, are that it's already going to fail. So we want to check in with our expectations. Those are just some examples of my beautiful life. I bet you have a lot yourself. You know, when are you throwing the safety net out before your child has even jumped? When are you avoiding certain things and not even giving your child an opportunity? I know I'm so guilty of this as well. And it has an impact. And I want to talk about, um, there was a study that was done back in the 60s out of Harvard where they told teachers that a test showed that certain students were entering a year of quote unquote academic flourishing. When in reality, these students had all been selected at random. And at the end of the year, right, the IQs initially of the group were all average, all about the same. But at the end of the year, the IQ scores of the designated students were higher than the control group, which is fascinating to me because when these teachers believed in these students and they believed that there was some sort of blossoming academic flourishing going on with these identified students, their belief actually created a higher IQ in those children. And so there's a, there's a, like a concrete cause and effect to our believing in our kids when we believe they can do it. 
and we let go of history, we let go of past experience and we believe in them, they're much more likely to succeed. Now, not always, you can't be like, I believe that you're going to go to school without a fight. I believe that your stomach isn't going to hurt today. Let's make that happen. It's on a, on a larger scale. It's like just believing and trusting that your child will eventually get it, that they can handle it. And that even when they hit bumps, it's for a good cause. It's going to grow them and propel them forward. So I find that really interesting. Uh, I want to also get into, well, actually there was one more point on that one. So even with my miss eight-year-old who has celiac disease and a lot of anxiety around her stomach, and it's a chicken and egg thing because she has emetophobia, so she's very afraid of you know, throwing up. She has celiac, which actually makes her feel like throwing up often. When she gets nervous and stressed, like when she has to go to a birthday party, she worries that she's going to throw up, which inevitably makes her feel sick. And then she... Uh, gets worried that she's going to throw up even more suspicious cycle of emetophobia. And lately I bought her some uh, peppermint oil to put like a roll on to put on her stomach. And I did that partly because it can help, you know, it's oils. It's meant to help her stomach. It's created for stomach issues. I looked up what's the best oil to put on the stomach for those things. But then the other part is the placebo effect. And when we say the placebo effect, we, we think it's fake, right? So the placebo effect is, well, you know, you believe it's going to work. And so it works, but really it didn't work. It's just in your head. And that's a wrong way of looking at the placebo effect. So the placebo effect is actually statistically significant. So there is power in belief. There is power in believing that something will work. And there's something called the observer effect, which is really interesting that when scientists believe their experiment is going to work, they're statistically more likely to work, which I find fascinating that the, the researchers actually impact the experiment. And when they've had scientists do an experiment and they didn't believe in it, they've tried to replicate an experiment. They're not able to get the same results because the belief isn't there. So belief is very powerful, actually. So I've been putting some peppermint on her stomach and telling her this is going to make her feel better, putting my hands on her stomach and having her visualize her stomach feel better. And that has been helping. And whether it's the peppermint or my hands or the belief, it doesn't really matter because there's belief that will help. She believes it will help. And she's able to go to bed a little bit easier because of it. And it's something tangible that we can do. This podcast episode isn't about that, but it's about understanding that the power of our beliefs have some physical ramifications with our children. So, so let's move on to stress. I also want to talk about how stress is contagious and it's similar in that it's, it's again, our own work. And this is really the essence of what I'm talking about in this free video series I'm doing this week are these topics of how these elements that are happening in our own thoughts, in our own body, in our own actions are having a direct impact on our children. And that's why it's so good to, to look at ourselves and do some inner work and work on getting your own support and your own connections and working on your own thoughts, beliefs, anxiety, whatever. You don't have to have an anxiety disorder to have stuff to work on. 
so that you're not impacting your child in a negative way. Because if we can, for me, it's much easier for me to work on myself and this might be different for you, but it's much easier for me to work on myself and have that impact my kids. That's a win win. It's like, it's a twofer. It's like killing two birds with one stone. I don't like that saying though. Things so graphic and violent, but I can help myself. I feel better. My marriage gets better. My house gets better. My work gets better and my kids get better. Well, that's just amazing. My dog's even happier. So who wouldn't want that? Sometimes we think it's selfish to start with ourselves because everybody, you know, our kids on fire, our child needs some attention. We don't have time to go into a bubble bath and watch Netflix. It's not about that. It is crucial and imperative that you start with yourself because if you're not okay, how is your child going to get okay? Think about it in an educational setting. Let's say the teacher is not okay. My daughter currently, my 16 year old has this teacher who's like on a rampage. There were some rambunctious kids in his class and he is just, he's just so angry that he can't teach biology anymore. So it's very sad actually. And it's ruining it for her. So here you have a student who is ready to learn, wanting to learn straight A student sitting there wanting to absorb whatever and anything that can come out of that teacher's mouth. And that teacher cannot provide it because that teacher is depleted. He is um, he is done. He's checked out. He is hopeless. He is feeling overwhelmed, right? Sounds like a parent, right? And he is unable to teach anymore in the way that he should be or could be. And so even though this student is ready to absorb anything, right? So even though if your, your daughter or your son is capable of working through their anxiety or OCD and just needs some guidance or some coaching, they will not get that they will not be able to do that if you're not okay. So I always, in my practice, if the parent's not okay, I have to do joint work. I have to work on the parent too, because otherwise we're not, we're not going to be making progress. So, um, they, there's another study. I'm like really into studies lately because I think they're fascinating. So there was this study where they took this town and they just studied this town and they, they did a subset of this town and they studied 4,700 of these people for over 20 years. And they were looking at happiness levels and how these levels affect those around them. And the study found that one person's happiness can boost that of another for time periods as long as a year. Is that crazy? So when a person in the study became happy, the chances that a neighbor, spouse, sibling, or friend becoming happy increased 34%. Isn't that insane? And living within a mile of a friend who became happy increased a participant's chance of happiness 25%. I find that, I find that like mind boggling. And not only did happy people affect those around them, but happiness also had a rippling effect. So three degrees of separation out, people became happier. So having a friend know someone who was happy, right? So a friend of a friend. So it's a couple of layers out. It still increased the chances of happiness as much as 15%. And even the next layer out, a friend of a friend of a friend, the likelihood was still 6%. You know, luckily negative emotions were not as contagious, but they still were contagious. But happiness is is powerful. They did another study, which I found really interesting. Um, this massive experiment, I don't know how they did it because it kind of sounds unethical to me, so I don't know. But 689,000 Facebook users they, they use them to see if emotional contagion uh, doesn't require contact between people. Like, can they impact people's moods from a distance? And 
the user's timelines were manipulated to receive positive emotions and people who got less positive emotions in their feed produced fewer positive posts and more negative posts. And when negative expressions were produced, the opposite pattern occurred. So we're highly influenced. And that's just one study of a million that I've read where we are influenced by what we see, what we live around and what we absorb. And on a side note, that makes you really want to protect your brain and be surrounded by people who are uplifting because there's physiological consequences and what you watch, eat, breathe in your feed in social media has a direct impact on your well-being. We all know that, right? But there's some scientific evidence to prove that. So how does that relate to our kids? Well, if happiness or stress is contagious, then we really want to be that anchor. So there's a couple of points I want to make with this. One, working on your own stress is powerful because it can impact and improve the stress level of your entire house. I had a day about two days ago where I was really angry about something and I spewed my angry swirls at everyone and anyone. My kids were like staying far away from me. My, my youngest daughter was actually super mature that day. And she was like, are you having a bad day, mom? You know? And then when she went to bed, it was so sad. She's like, I really hope mom that you wake up tomorrow and you're in a better mood or you have a better day. And I, I didn't feel even guilty. I was just so angry that I was just like, I don't know if I will. Like I was like mama gazilla and it wasn't about them. It was something else that was going on, but I just spewed my hatred everywhere and I impacted everybody's day. So we all have that going on. I think the awareness, and I did apologize the next day. I think that there's always something really good about being human and reflecting back to our kids that, Hey, I'm sorry. I was out of control. You know, even moms have bad days and that wasn't okay for me to be like so angry all the time. And I'm sorry for that. So when you're stressed, not only in that way, like you're in a bad mood, but like when you're stressed because you think your child can't do something. So now we're kind of getting the expectations and the stress together. So when you are too anxious about your child, whether they have to do something and you're nervous too, sometimes the best thing to do is to have your partner do it with your child instead of you. I'll give you a concrete example, and then we're going to wrap this up because I'm trying to keep my episodes under 30 minutes nowadays so that you can listen to them and move on. So when my daughter, when my youngest daughter was in kindergarten, she had intense social anxiety and emetophobia, and she was worried about the kindergarten play that she had to be in. And I can't remember if she even had a line. I don't even remember. I don't even remember. I think my son had a line, but I don't know if she did. No, I think she did, but she was so nervous about it. No, I think she did have a line. So obviously I'm, I'm having a zero memory and that's a problem in and of itself. And I was so nervous about them saying this line. I can't remember if it was my daughter or my son. (laughs) It's like so sad. I know one of them had a line in the play and they were really nervous about it. Both of them have anxiety. And because of my own social anxiety at the time, I've gotten a lot better, but I did not feel like I could stomach watching them freeze and make a mistake and not be able to do it. I was so overwhelmed. I'm pretty sure this was my daughter. And so it was at lunchtime or something and I couldn't make it anyway. I was at work. 
And normally I would change my schedule and, and be there. But I said to my husband, can you go instead? Because if I'm there and she's nervous and I'm going to be nervous, I will feed off her nervousness and I'm not going to help. She, and even if I didn't say anything, I said, you're going to do great. She's a sponge. She'll be able to feel that I'm super nervous for her. So she was okay with me not going. I just told her I had work and I love her and her dad was going to take a video of it. And she did fantastic. It wasn't an issue, but I knew at that point that my anxiety was probably at the same level of hers and I couldn't, I couldn't be an anchor for her. And so we can't always check ourselves out. Sometimes it's not appropriate. Sometimes we don't have that option. But when you do, like when my daughter was chopping up her potatoes yesterday, I, there was a time where I said to her, I have to go in the other room because I can't watch this anymore. (laughs) I probably wasn't very supportive. I could have done better. I didn't need to tell her that I should have just left without giving her my expectation that she was going to cut herself before I left the room. This is like a Natasha fail session, but I should have just left. And I should have left early on when I started to feel anxious as I watched her, like her thumb was like right there by the knife. I mean, it was just, it was just, I, when I came back from my appointment, I was expecting to see the ambulance or my husband's car gone because I was like 99% sure she was going to have to go to the ER (laughs) for cutting potatoes. So ridiculous, but she didn't cut herself. So there, but I should have just quietly removed myself and not transferred over my stress to her. So I hope that me giving you these um, examples just kind of helps you maybe think about things that are going on in your life. I know that they, your examples would be vastly different than mine, but I'm just trying to give you a concrete perspective on what I'm talking about. I think sometimes when we have an example, we can really wrap our brain around a concept better than just talking about it in an abstract way. So I hope that that has motivated you to work on your expectations, even a few of them, and work on your own stress and realize how it is contagious. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the free video series and listen to this because we go deeper into these topics. And so I'd love to have you join me. Um, if you forgot, you can text 44222 and text AT self care and join us over there and catch up so that we can do this together. So if you're enjoying my podcast, I would greatly appreciate if you can hit a star on iTunes and show your support for the show. If you have a few extra seconds, I would love if you can leave a review and let other parents know what you value and what you're getting from the show. To show my gratitude for that, I always like to end the show reading one of them. And I want to thank Jenny Woodward for leaving a really nice review. She wrote, A Life Raft in a Stormy Year. It's been a rough year. It started with me being diagnosed with breast cancer and undergoing a bilateral mastectomy. Then my daughter started showing some more than normal anxiety. Then the pieces started coming together in July. It was like that scene at the end of a movie where the viewer gets to see flashbacks from the whole movie and finally puts it all together. My five-year-old has OCD. We were able to recognize it as quickly because my husband has struggled with OCD since high school. Now our worst fear was realized. It was one of your articles that introduced me to the term confessional OCD and how the worst thing a parent can do is reassure that finally convinced me my suspicions were probably correct. We were able to find an amazing child psychologist who has experience with OCD in our area and was able to diagnose. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now and finding so much encouragement, education, and tools to fight this fight. Thank you for what you are doing. 
Well, thank you, Jenny. And I'm so sorry to hear of all that you've been through and now what you're going through with your five-year-old, but I am really encouraged for you that you found an OCD therapist so quickly and you were able to diagnose it because you had a good hunch and you were able to spot it because most of the time it's missed at this age. And I know they say onset for OCD is, I don't know, like 10 to 12. And I feel like that's inaccurate. I feel like we're just not getting to them early enough and there's wasted time and you're not wasting any of it. So thank you for leaving the review. And I am glad you're finding my podcast helpful. So if you're finding my podcast helpful, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.